listening to the Seven Rivers Student Ministry Podcast, a ministry of Seven Rivers Church in Citrus County, Florida. Here at SRSM, we believe that all students are lovable through a relationship with Jesus. Visit our website at sevenrivers.org backslash students. going to be talking about tonight uh, the atonement, uh, the cross. And so we've been kind of leading to this direction and we've been begging the question of why did Jesus die? And we've been fleshing it out. And I want to start off with a story. I'm pretty sure it is a movie. I'm not sure if it's based on a true story, but the opening scene of this movie, I'm not sure what it's called. I wish I could tell you. I can't remember. Uh, I do remember watching it though because of this opening scene, it was very intense. The opening scene of the movie is, you know, this family, they love to climb. Um, so they're these really fit, really like strong human beings. And they're, you know, the opening scene of the movie is they're climbing these, you know, rock faces and they're going on climbing adventures. And they're on this climb uh, that's like, you know, pretty, pretty rigorous out west. And so they're, they're climbing, they're latching in. Uh, they're, they're doing the, uh, I think it's the part of climbing where you're like, you're setting a... Uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, a, a route up and you have to kind of bring hardware and you got to put, you know, the screws in and the bolts in so that you can hook up and, and climb with a rope. So this family, it's a, it's a, it's a brother and a sister and a father um, and they are climbing and this is what they like to do. This is what they do for fun. But something terrible goes wrong with the setting of the bearings um, into the side of the rock and it pulls out and all of a sudden, all the weight has shifted to on this one bearing, you know, with two, with three people depending on it. They both have fallen. It's on this one bearing, and all of them are experienced climbers, and all of them know that the weight of them three on this one bearing, you know, as they're hanging, you know, helplessly over a cliff, you know, they realize that it's going to be too much weight, and it will be in a, in a matter of moments before that bearing breaks. And they're sitting there and, and, and they're talking about it. And the father looks to his children and says, we know what needs to be done. And they tell him no. And he takes out a knife and he slices the rope and he falls to his death to spare the lives of his children. Why does Jesus die? Why does he have to die? It involves you. It involves God. If you have your Bibles, pull up Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. I find this to be one of the most amazing truths about the gospel because it just blows my mind that God and his goodness and greatness and, and just in the mystery of God, that he, before the foundation of the world, would set in motion this. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, 
this is what it says. Even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, which is wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 7. In Jesus, before the foundations of the world, that means before creation, before Genesis 1, it was determined, predetermined that those who believed in Jesus, which some of you are in this room, would one day be found holy and blameless. You would be adopted into the family of God and you would be redeemed by Jesus's blood. Before Genesis 1 ever happened, before Genesis 3 ever happened, this was already set to be. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? Do you understand what this verse is saying? You, if you belong to Jesus, were loved before God spoke the world into creation. This is God's will. This is his story. And it's a story of his grace. And it's all about his glory. That's amazing. Look at verse, um, sorry, go to Ephesians 2 and look at verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Jesus dies to love his father. And because the father loves you before the foundation of the world, Jesus loves you. And since before the world was created, this has been the plan. Jesus was going to die for your sins. And he was going to bring you home to the father. This is foreshadowed throughout all of scripture. You have in Genesis 3.15, you see it. A man will come from the seed of Eve and this man will crush the head of the serpent. 700 years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied what this is gonna look like, what the savior of Israel was gonna look like, what the savior of God's children was gonna look like. It was gonna look like the servant of God. Go to Isaiah 52. This is absolutely fascinating. Isaiah 52 and go to verse 13 and follow along. And as you read, you're going to notice something very fitting about Jesus throughout this entire prophecy. Isaiah 52 verses 13 through 15. This was written 700 years before Jesus. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations with his blood. That's the idea there. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. And then go to 
chapter 53 and look at verses three through seven. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, our wrongdoings. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All of us are like sheep who have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And then go down to verse 10. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and God shall prolong his days. The will of God shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus was lifted high upon a cross. That's in chapter 52, verse 13. He was marred beyond human semblance. That's verse 14. His blood paid the price for the children of every nation to come to God. He was pierced for our wrongdoings. He was crushed for our sins. And by his wounds, we are healed like a lamb who is led to be slaughtered. That is what happened to Jesus and it was God's holy and perfect will to put him to death. And it was God's will to also raise him up and to prolong his days, the resurrection. In Jesus, God makes his children holy. He paid the price for our sins. Jesus on the cross takes our unholiness and we take his holiness if we believe in him. If you were a Jew, which maybe some of you have that heritage, but if you were a Jew, if you were an Israelite, in the days of sacrifices, you had this understanding and you had a cultural comprehension of the bloody cost of sin. This would make so much sense to you. Even just if you lived maybe... 80 years ago, this would make so much more sense to you. The cost that it takes in order for you to live. One, just think about 80 years ago. You used to have to raise your own livestock, 80 to 100 years. You used to have to go and you would have to buy food. You would have to buy an animal and take it to a butcher. I mean, you would literally have a relationship with this animal that was going to be sacrificed for you so that you can eat it and you can live. This was just something that would commonly happen all the time. And it hasn't been until the past century, really. The last hundred plus years where it really, in human history, where that has kind of erased. And you just go to the meat market, to the butcher directly and just 
purchase the meat. But every time you eat a meal, every time you have barbecue, life was exhausted so that you can live, so that your life can be sustained. At the foundations of your existence, blood is being shed constantly for you. So this is not some crazy weird thing of sacrifice, as weird as you may think it is. But they would encounter it all the time, especially with their sins. You would would have to take the lamb without blemish. It would probably be your favorite lamb. You would probably have a relationship and connection. If you were a kid, a high school student, middle school student, you would have a connection with this lamb and you would have to take it to the priest, to the altar. And you would have to watch it be killed because of your sins. You would experience the blood, the messiness, the sadness, the grief, the consequences of what it takes to cover you, to cover your mistakes. You would understand the bloody cost of your redemption. Listen, I want you to know tonight that Jesus loves his father. And he loves his little brothers and sisters. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He says, take me to the altar. I'm going to show a video in a moment. I'm not... I want to show it. The, re- the reason why I want to show it is because I think we just don't quite, like if I was talking like 150 plus years ago, I wouldn't need to show something like this. One, I couldn't probably, but they would get it just by the descriptions of, the, of seeing the blood. And, and I think us as Westerners, we don't really fully grasp and understand just how messy sin is. And if you, I want you to understand that tonight. And I think the best way to do it is to watch what a crucifixion would look like. And I'm telling you, it's, it's hard to see. But you need to see it. This is historical. This is accurate. This is done according to what the Bible has laid out and to what Roman crucifixion has laid out. So we're going to draw near to the cross. This is, if you're in Jesus, this is your older brother who has gone before you to pay the price for your redemption. I'll uh, hit the lights and we can play it. Um, it's it's not sin or Satan or death or anything like that that keeps God that keeps Jesus on the cross it's you puts himself there 
because of you and for you. He doesn't do it for everybody. It's not for everybody. It's not done for everybody. It's only done for those. It's only done for his little brothers and his little sisters. Those who will have faith in him and those who will look to him. His atonement is limited to those who God foreloved since the eternity, before the beginning. His atonement is for those that are his children in Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, and that is for you. That's his love for you. He wants you to know he loves you. He will give everything up for that. For those in this room who believe in Jesus, he's accomplished four things. Four things he's accomplished for you. And that singular act on the cross. One, under the law of God, you have been declared a sinner. And you're judged guilty and deserving of a curse. It's the curse in Genesis 3. But Jesus takes that curse upon himself. Genesis 3.15, Jesus takes the serpent's bite on his heel. But he crushes its head. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Second, because of your sin, you are a subject of God's wrath. You are the target of his anger. It's on fire towards you. But on the cross, Jesus satisfies, appeases, quenches that fire. In 1 John 4, 10, it says that Jesus propitiates God's wrath. That's what it means. It quenches the fire of God's wrath. In 1 John 4, 10, it says, In this love, not that we've loved God, but rather God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The third thing is because of your sin, you're wicked and unrighteous in the sight of God. But on the cross, God covers Jesus in your unrighteousness. And he covers you in Jesus' righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Fourth thing he has done for you is because of your sin, you owe a great debt to an eternal God that you will have to pay for all eternity. But on the cross, Jesus freely gives his life away for his brothers and sisters 
He gives up his eternal life as the payment for your debt. Mark 10, 45, Jesus' own words. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a payment for many. This is the atonement that Jesus makes for you. If you believe in him on the cross, this is what the holy, wrathful love of God looks like. This is what grace looks like. The question is, is will you let Jesus atone for you? We have two accounts of betrayal in the crucifixion and death of Jesus' story. You have Judas and you have Peter. Judas Iscariot in Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5. This is what he does to Jesus. He betrays Jesus by going to the uh, going to the high priest and being bribed with silver to give the location of Jesus. And when Jesus saw, I mean, when J- Judas saw that Jesus got arrested, and this is what happens. Judas' betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned and he changed his mind. And he took and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And he said, I have, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to this yourself. And he threw down the pieces of silver into the temple. And he departed and he went and he hanged himself. That's Matthew 27, verses three through five. And then you have Peter's betrayal. Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Peter denies that he ever knew Jesus. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said to him, you were with the Jesus guy, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And he went out to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Then after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Do you know Jesus? Or do you not? Three days later, Jesus would be raised up from the dead. And in his risen body, he would appear before Peter. John 21 captures the story. This story goes like this. Peter and some of the disciples are out fishing. They were not catching any fish until a man from the shore yells out to them to cast their nets upon the right side of the boat. So they did it, as the man had said. And the net filled with fish. 
so much fish that the boat was not, none of them were able to haul it in. And Peter realizes that the man on the shore was Jesus. So he threw himself into the sea and swam to Jesus. When Peter makes it to shore, what does Jesus do to him? Jesus does not deny Peter or ignore him. Jesus doesn't say, I do not know you, Peter. Jesus does not shame him and he doesn't accuse Peter. He doesn't judge Peter. But what Jesus does is he says, come and let's eat breakfast. And they make a meal of bread and fish. And then Jesus does this. He asked Peter three times, do you love me? Peter had denied Jesus three times and realized that what Jesus was doing, Jesus was reestablishing his relationship with Peter. Jesus was forgiving Peter and offering him relationship again. Some of you have been denying Jesus. But tonight, he asks you, do you love me? He asks me, do you love me? Jesus has every right to judge us. There will come a day for judging, but it's not today. Because we live in a time where God withholds his wrath because Jesus intercedes for us right now, for his little brothers and sisters. He intercedes and says, wait, Father. Wait for my, ch- wait for my brothers. Wait for your children. There's still more I want to invite. There's still more who I want to know, you and me. Jesus, in space, time, and history right now, he offers every single one of you, not judgment, but forgiveness. Jesus says, I will atone for your sins. Bring him to the cross. If you bring your sins to Jesus, you will not be met with the wrath of God. You will not be met with his judgment, but you will be met with his presence, his peace, his love. But you have to go to the cross. You have to go to Jesus. You have Peter and Judas, they betrayed Jesus. One atoned for their own sins, with their own blood, while the other let Jesus atone for him. Whose blood will be shed for you? Who will atone for what you have done? One way that we can get to the bottom of this is the same question that Jesus got to the bottom of it with Peter. He asked him one simple question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? If you do, then his blood covers you. That's his holy, wrathful 
love. That's his grace. Let's pray.